This is A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Today on the show, it's a librarian spotlight. We like to have some of our own librarians as guests on this podcast as often as we can. Today, it is librarian Andrea Perez, who has been here at this library for a few years, but she's been a librarian for much longer than that. And so this discussion is about her whole career to date, where else she has been working, as well as her other role as a therapist for the Radical Wellbeing Center. But what we also talk about uh, is the collection that Andrea develops here for the Ferndale Library, which is the 300s. So for those of you who don't know the Dewey Decimal System, the 300s are basically the social sciences, uh, behavioral sciences, psychology, sociology, anthropology, social interactions, all of this stuff. And sometimes, you know, even some memoir material can come into there. But I almost feel like if you imagined like a like, like a PBS documentary of a very, very significant, important social issue, imagine that in book form and then imagine thousands of those books. And that is what Andrea helps us collect here. But yeah, we had a really great conversation about where and how librarians and social workers overlap and how she became both and why it was important for her to become both and what that experience is like. We also talk about three new books that she's added to this collection, which we're going to link to in the show notes. We also talk about an event that was about three-ish years ago where Andrea was uh, an employee of the Westland Library. Now, uh, some cuts were made to staff, and what wound up happening is the community wound up rallying behind those staff members and just voicing their support for the library. Uh, Now, we talk about that at the end of the podcast. I think it's really endearing whenever you see the community just step up and tell their city council or just make a bold statement that drives home the point that the library matters to them. But we're going to get into our chat here with Andrea Perez, librarian and therapist and our developer of the collection, The 300s, The Social Sciences. There's all those kinds of misconceptions out there that librarians just wanted to have a job where they could read books all day. Yeah. There's still that and the idea that they just like being in quiet environments. <laughs> I mean, there's part of that. There's part of that. <laughs> and for part- me, right. like, I'm still in it. <laughs> I do remember when I first started working here uh, in high school, the the quietness and the fact that you could kind of like hide yourself down, down, the, down the rows of stacks of books was attractive. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I was, I don't know if I was entirely a shy kid, but I guess reserved, I guess, not introverted maybe a little introverted how about you were you when you were a kid growing up yeah i i was a high school page too oh cool probably appealed to for the same reasons yeah i just wanted it was it was my first job and it was at plymouth library and at that time it was they were in the transition of remodeling so they were out of an old farmer jack building Mm -hmm. in that moment Mm -hmm. and it was not a whole lot of hiding out but you could still do it and i i just love the orders of the dewey numbers and knowing all the subject areas and making everything look 
neat and it, it just really appealed to me. And I grew up in libraries. My mom was always taking me. So that's great. I can relate to one aspect of that. When I was a page, I was a bit, I think some of my obsessive compulsive sites came out and I was very uh, meticulous about getting the the shelves straight. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, tell me a little bit more about when in your life you realized that you wanted to start getting down that road to 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 get a degree in, in library sciences. When you realize, I, I really want to be a librarian. I, I was a page too, but I never followed the road. How'd you start on the road? So I, I went to undergrad at U of M for English and art history. And I knew I liked reading and just always art and books were kind of it. Yeah. And then I... I graduated from undergrad in 2002. Okay. And at that time, I, there weren't a lot of jobs, especially not for, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And like I went to Europe for like a, a few months and then came back and realized like I needed to figure something out. And I was visiting a friend in Boston at Simmons College and she was doing library science and she was like, you should do this because it fits and and that made a lot of sense to me and yeah. it was like a of course sort of thing. And yeah. so I came back and applied at Wayne. Was it was that kind of an epiphany moment when your friend told you that? Like, oh yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like, why hadn't I thought of it before? Because I was at a party with all the people in the department. And even though it was a different school, different feel, yeah. just seeing like what it was about and very nerdy. Mm -hmm. I remember people were dressed, it was a Halloween party and they were dressed up in costumes like fonts and weird <laughs> stuff. And But yeah, so I came back and just started that and was able to graduate and got a full-time job pretty quickly yeah, cool. at that time. That's cool. Tell me more about growing up in libraries and visiting libraries. I used to visit this library a lot in my youth. And I remember, obviously, I was only three or four feet tall, but sort of running in and, and seeing all these books everywhere. And it just felt like a, a forest to me that I could kind of go and get lost in and get hide in. And, you know, there's like uh, cool programs, too. So it was a great place to be as a kid. What was it like for you? What library did you go to? I grew up in Canton, so uh, the Canton Library there, I remember it was in a different building, like it was attached to the police department there, now it's got its own separate one, Yeah. but it was like on the second floor, I think, and my mom would take me all the time, like weekly, and I'd just get stacks and stacks of books, yes. and I don't think we did any programming, I don't remember any memories of that, but it's just getting the books and trying to go through the piles. Uh-huh. Do you remember, I guess, before you went into school, do you remember what your anticipation of what life as a librarian would be versus what the reality wound up being once you got out there into the gotten jobs? I had some idea because of working in high school at the as a page and oh, knowing right. a course. little bit, but I didn't actually know what the, the librarians were, seemed all older and I had an idea, but I didn't know how much would go into programming and all the... I didn't know any of like the politics and the things, even though when I had my first like, internship, the library, Canton, like somebody had warned me about politics and things like that. Like there's so yeah. many layers to it. Yeah. And it's, it, it was definitely much more expansive than I, I imagined. Like I, I, I thought it would be great as a, being an introvert and books, being able to order them. And yeah, I didn't know like all the other program stuff. Yeah. If you maybe are, 
uh, a cataloger, you can sort of hide away in an office in a cubicle and just and look at all that kind of stuff. But when you're you have to be out there on the floor and you have to deal with folks, not deal with them, you have to deal with their questions and, you know, you never know what they're going to going to throw at you. And the teaching computer classes. And then I also yeah. ran the the homebound program. So it was a lot of one on one that I would get to. Because we had volunteer drivers at the library I worked at at that time was Westland. Uh-huh. And I would fill in the gaps of the delivery routes that didn't really fit in with anybody else. And mm-hmm. so there were people that I really got to know pretty well. Yeah. And I think on a different level than who you see come in. Right. So this is like what we would call outreach. Yeah. And that I almost pictured a bookmobile when you said driver. You're just taking you're taking books directly into folks' homes. Yeah. That's with great. my car. Just yeah. it was kind of reminiscent of I used to deliver pizzas when I was younger and <laughs> I like being out of the building and seeing that part of people's lives. Like yeah. we, you don't get that when they come in. It's only a certain aspect of who they are. That sounds like it was a particularly or somewhat positive experience for you, reinforcing your decision to be a librarian. Yeah, I didn't want to do it because initially I actually wanted to be a teen librarian. And um, when I got hired in, there wasn't a teen position. And then I was offered this program to run and seniors were the opposite of who I wanted to work with. Right. But one of my first internships, I was told always say yes Mm -hmm. to anything. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of felt like I was forced to do it, but it it was the, my favorite thing that I did for sure. That's great. Now I feel like in the last 10 years, the deeper I've gotten into library world, the more times I've heard folks say that librarians today almost have to be like social workers, but you have gotten into social work. You actually have walked both roads. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I also felt the same thing. Like I felt like we were baby social workers. And definitely during the recession in 2008 at Westland, we started Job Seekers Lab, which continued on. I don't know if they're still, well, right now everything's with COVID, but they were still doing that for up to when I left, that was 2017, Mm -hmm. because there's still a need. And so Mm -hmm. having to learn how to help people do that sort of thing, they're applying for benefits, just resources that I would also have a lot of people who would come in and ask for, they were looking for jobs, they just got out of prison, jail, and we have books and we can Google stuff, but that doesn't actually tell you who's hiring in the local area. So I'd be calling my social worker friends and asking for like in Wayne County, who actually hires people's records and because there's only so much you can do like information wise and then what's actually like real information right you're talking about you had some friends who are already into social work Mm -hmm. can you talk about a little just a little bit more just almost separate from libraries what made you want to to go into that oh it's kind of i mean it was part of the being baby social workers right in libraries but also i had gotten involved with allied media conference oh tell me more So, and that was about libraries. We started the Radical Librarian Track, which then developed into libraries, archives, and museums, and we were able to pass it on to other people. Yeah. But it was looking at, like, what else that libraries can do and the transformations and and things like that. And the people I was meeting there, there were a lot of organizers, a lot of social workers, a lot of learning about greater stuff outside libraries Mm -hmm. and because I I found myself getting frustrated with 
bureaucracy in libraries and like getting approval for things and limits and money and all, all those things. Like there would be ideas I'd have for programs. I'm like being told like you can't do that or right. just because of limitations. Right. And so I, I started getting involved with that Allied Media Project or Allied Media Conference for, I did it for two years that I was the organizer and then one of the organizers and then just involved with with putting on uh, a session following years. But it, it definitely expanded what what I think of as libraries and, and meeting more people around the country, seeing how people were doing transformative justice within libraries for like teens that act up instead of right. kicking them out and ways you don't have to police patrons. And, and, and it was just really cool. And yeah. so that was one step. And then... Along with the the outreach, just real, I like the one on one connections with people and getting to know people on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And so I, was, I had started thinking about being a therapist yeah. at that point. And when I was looking at what programs, what degrees you need, there's counseling, mm-hmm. marriage and family therapist, um, psychology, and I ended up with social work because it fit within the values the most. And at that time, also. Social workers were being hired in at some libraries and they were calling it a whole person librarianship. So I was interested in seeing the possible, like I didn't know exactly, even though I'd wanted to be a therapist, what that would go. Because I was also interested in substance use treatment. And with social work, it's so broad what you can do. Right. It's way more than I think the other degrees. Right. I don't mind saying this on the podcast, but I think everything that you just talked about is very badass. Now you're talking about, you know, you're talking about growing up in libraries, 80s, 90s. And you're seeing librarians of kind of this older generation. Mm. And if you're talking about some of the the bureaucracy, it's sort of like they were still maybe trying to do things old fashioned or Mm -hmm. just very limited. And I love the word radical. And you got involved with so many other people. And in your own mind, you had all these ideas about what, you know, what more libraries can do. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, And another thing about maybe being you know, that that archetype of librarians as introverts is something that you just said is that, you know, an introvert might be shy in like a group setting or a party setting or a giant restaurant setting because there's six or seven people around and they feel that they have to join in the conversation and perform. But when you're one on one, I think that 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 all that goes away, right? You could be an introvert, but one on one is better. Yeah, way, way better for me. Like I found I don't like doing group therapy, but I can do individual. But also like a librarian could be introverted. But if you are a patron who comes up and just has this intense one on one reference question, librarians can rise to that occasion no matter how uh how uh introverted they might be but um yeah any other formative moments because you've been working in libraries now for more than a decade now since i graduated in 2005 mm-hmm. and i got the job in 2000 it was the end of 2005 and started 2006 so 14 years mm-hmm. at this point westland also some time in southfield too yeah as a sub i was there for for a long time too, probably about 10 years. Yeah. Just because you have to hustle. Right. And so I had a full-time job. I, when I graduated, I did sub at Plymouth like another 20 hours uh-huh. and then that became unsustainable. And I found Southfield and I would, I was doing like 12 extra hours there. And it was something I did up until last year because mm-hmm. when I decided to go back to school, I, for the first year of the program, I was able to still work full time mm-hmm. and then, and then a whole bunch of circumstances and I was going to have to start internships right. and it became 
a parent that would be just good to I'd have more opportunities if, to find a good internship with hours I'd like. Yeah. Instead of working midnight shifts after working full time, if I just worked part time. And that's when I started here at Ferndale, too. So it kind of just fit. I was doing Southfield and Ferndale part time just mm-hmm. as subs initially. For yeah. Me. Has it been exciting or has it been challenging to also have to kind of keep up with how much media changes, how much information changes. You know, I've heard this sort of saying that if you go to med school and you're a doctor, like five years into your job, so much about medicine changes. I feel like when you're a librarian, five, six years later, so much about what you have to know and be ready for changes too, right? Yeah. And uh, I think I was able to keep up pretty well when I was full time in libraries, but now that I'm only here one day a week. Right. It's challenging. Yeah, just even with what's going on in, in the Ferndale Library, mm-hmm. and I feel sometimes behind, but mm-hmm. it, it takes me like a week to get it, mm-hmm. and I can get it pretty well, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm barely here. So. Yeah, right. You And then to go back about something you said about wanting to be a teen librarian, was do you think that was also born from an instinct, you know, sort of that social worker instinct? Did you see teens specifically as a population that needed to be reached, that needed to be engaged? At that time, I don't think I fully understood it like because I was still in school. Yeah. It was mostly I liked the literature. And then um, I was still somewhat young in my 20s mm-hmm. and felt akin more than some of the older librarians that right. were teen librarians. And, right. and I thought it'd be fun and I could just relate and be kinder sure. to them. But there is such a potential there, though, right? Yeah. When they're in our uh, in a safer world, if there could be in our building, in our environment, uh, the there's such a good potential for a librarian to make connections to a teen. And definitely year. with the books, like I know teen books changed so much from when the 80s and 90s, like it was outsiders. That right. was kind of it. And now there's so much more expansive and de- definitely for like queer kids, for marginalized groups, there's still a lot of ways to go, but it has improved for representation with yeah. people of color, yeah. with all kinds of people. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, we've been chatting for so long, we haven't even gotten to one of the key things you do here, which is collection development, specifically of the 300s. And anyone listening to this podcast might know about the Dewey Decimal System, but can you talk about what the 300s are? You know, I know I'm not a librarian. I know 600s will get you into gardening and cooking. I know 500s are like nature and space. What are the 300s? And uh, tell us about what it's like collecting. Tell us what it's like developing that collection. So I've actually had like 300 since I was at Westland. Really? Was, and I had a couple other collections too there, but that was my main thing, my favorite thing. And I know when I came here, I, I didn't have a collection. I was just a sub and then eventually went to permanent part-time. Yeah. And I'd mentioned to Ed that I really liked the 300s and miss them. And he's like, you can buy books for it. And it's it's just yeah. fun because it's my favorite collection. It's so it's so expansive. It, you can get from politics to social issues to like all the things that like I'm interested in personally. So, and I actually like ordering for Ferndale better than other libraries. Some communities because the books I want to order mm-hmm. actually get checked out a lot more here mm-hmm. than they do at other places. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like seeing that happen. I like just being able to have also. Because some things can be in the 300s, but they can also be in like health. They can be in the 600s. They can be in politics in the 900s, current events. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, I think it's like the freshest one. And I can make an argument. I can order stuff from other people's sections and make an argument on why I think it should be in 
nine, like mm-hmm. also like substance use is also there and, mm-hmm. and just a lot of mental illness. Right. Right. It's a, it's such a foundational collection. I think that no matter, it feels like no matter what is happening in the news, you can find something of enlightenment in that section, whether it was the moments right after gay marriage becomes legal, you have material there to enrich. In this last year, we saw a high rise in demand for social justice issues. It's such a, it's such a rich collection, such a, such a worthy collection. It'll really enlighten people. Yeah. No matter what's going on. And what, I mean, what an intense year to be developing that collection. I was happy that we had a lot of the, the reading list that came out, yeah. we had a whole bunch of them. There wasn't like many holes that okay, needed cool. to get filled. So like New Jim Crow was already here. Yeah. Things like that. It was just yeah. extra copies of yeah. most of those things. But now even more. You've got some books on the table though that we should leave we should give some recommendations for folks. What's what's new lately? So some of these it makes me really sad for the three hundreds, it's not always the most popular book. So if people aren't in yeah. the library and actually being able to look at the shelves right. and just browse. They don't always know unless it's something that's been publicized. Mm-hmm. So the first one that I would like to see go out more, and it's related also to social work or within therapy, but Administrations of Lunacy, Racism and the Haunting of American Psychiatry at the Milledgeville Asylum Whoa. by Mab Segrist. Okay. And it's about one specific institution in the South, but like talking about from the 1800s, but it's really, it can be... It's just showing how racism has really affected, like you you still see it in diagnosing, you still see it in who's being locked up, Mm -hmm. um, how people are treated. There's still all these inequities and health disparities amongst black people, brown people, queer people. Uh, But this one's specifically about black people and how just they're treated. And this Mm -hmm. starting with the traumas of slavery, Mm -hmm. Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow. And even eugenics. Yeah. Like all oh, my that. gosh. Well, I mean, initially, they thought that it was a mental illness if you wanted, if you were a slave and you wanted to escape. Uh-huh. And so that was thought of as... Astonishing. That's astonishing. This is stuff worth knowing, but it's also, you know, it tends to not get like a little blurb on the Today Show, you know, because it's not, because it's heavy stuff. Yeah. And this one is, it's not too academic i mean okay. it's even got a blur from dorothy allison okay so but it's yeah i think it's a good read to mm-hmm. just also see how we got to today mm-hmm. can you imagine how rough it would have been for them you know but also how much of the things that are diagnosed as mental illness are just because they're systemic issues uh-huh and and that's what like the people who i work with are a lot like my clinic we mm-hmm. center queer people and and people of color, and we try to destigmatize and come from a trauma-informed lens mm-hmm. about what these issues are. If you're depressed, it's not necessarily a chemical imbalance. Like right. The things that have happened to you. Right, right. The next title. So the next one is actually the new Westmore book, who previously wrote the other Westmore right. biography. But um, this one is about, it's called Five Days, The Fiery Reckoning of an American City. And it's about Freddie Gray and Baltimore in 2015. Okay. And this came out like earlier this year. So he was writing this before everything that's happened. Right. And so it's timely. And to see how like all these events 
with the police brutality and uprisings, like there's continuing to go on. And yeah, I mean, when we think about everything that's happened with in the wake of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, we have to remember, like it was only five years ago we were here, you know, and that that other what the other Westmore was a rather popular book. So mm -hmm. I, I imagine people are have their eyes. Uh, I imagine people are anticipating this one. Hope so. Yeah. Oh, what's the other one? So the last one is called The Undocumented Americans by Carla Corneo Via Vincencio. Yeah. And she's somebody who is also undocumented and through DACA, like graduated from Harvard. And this is about, these are all nonfiction books, but mm -hmm. this one is about a bunch of different stories of different undocumented people, even from Flint, mm -hmm. like all around the country, which is brave that they're willing to tell their stories because right. any kind of attention and who they're going to trust is, right. is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so it, it talks about a lot of dreamers, a lot of like the activism, things that they are doing and put their, their lives on the line, really, not just with work, but with just living day to day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and seeing them in their full humanity. Mm -hmm. You just got such so much the, the most mind opening section to develop, Andrea. It's such So uh, this podcast, so we can't see the books that are physically on this table, but we're going to have uh, images and links to those in the online catalog in the show notes of this podcast. And then I just wanted to touch on one quick thing because you went through a lot three years ago with uh, Westland Library when uh, librarians were abruptly let go. But there was, I think, a real positive thing that at least came out of that is that the community really rallied mm -hmm. or it seemed to really rally behind you guys. And I think that the whole uh, occurrence, and if you want to read about it, we could put a link in the show notes. The whole occurrence really, I think, showed that, you know, going back to the bureaucracy, some people might not actually appreciate the fully appreciate all that goes into the role of a librarian. But can you at least reflect on what it was like to kind of get that support from the community? Yeah. So for me, I was already halfway out the door because I was in school mm -hmm. and was going to, I was planning on leaving anyways but right. we abruptly five of us abruptly my whole department almost got yeah. let go it's crazy and but i still stayed engaged with the the fighting the going to city hall and and talking with but we what we got to see was all the community members all the homebound people like were the people that were affected by like our teen librarian got let go so many things just fell apart computer yeah. classes and, and people were mad yeah. and people were turning up for, they, they were protesting at city hall, at the library, they were on the news. And I was really surprised by that Yeah. and seeing how much, it's not just the building, it's not just the materials, it's the people in the building that matter. And yeah. I think that was what wasn't counted on before. Right. when this all happened and so it, it ended up well like the the mayor was able to step in and make some changes and we all were offered our jobs back mm -hmm. i didn't go back but the and another person didn't go back but others did well we're glad to have you here though yeah i ended up having a pretty good deal from it the whole yeah. situation and just seeing a positive sometimes you might you do these fights you protest and nothing happens right and it's frustrating and but it was good to see an actual positive outcome from it all. Yeah, the community steps up and says, the library is important to us. Don't mess with it. Yeah. I think that's great. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. 
And that was our chat with Andrea Perez, librarian here at the Ferndale Library, also therapist for the Radical Wellbeing Center. We will have links to those three books that she talked about in our show notes. If you are interested in something else, she talked about the Allied Media Projects. That's sort of a collaborative laboratory of media-based organizing. We'll link to that as well. And would encourage you to dig more into the 300s that Andrea works on for our circulating collection. My name is Jeff Milo. I'm the host of this podcast, and we produce it in-house here at the Ferndale Library with music provided by local musician John Duffy. And if you want to support this podcast, you can just go to ferndalefriends.org or tell a friend. This podcast is called A Little Too Quiet, and we thank you for listening. (laughs) 